Today on Let the Bible Speak. On a hill far away stood three old rugged crosses. What we should know about each of them. And good morning. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. It's a privilege to have a few moments of your time and attention to study the Word of God together. Crucifixion was a common practice in the Roman Empire. It was not an unusual sight to see crosses erected outside the city wall of Jerusalem where passers-by could see the sad spectacle. The Romans executed criminals and insubordinates in places where the people could see them so as to strike fear and submission into the hearts of their Jewish subjects. During the final week of Jesus' ministry, Jerusalem was abuzz with pilgrims who had come there to observe the Passover. So on that fateful Friday when Jesus was crucified, it was even more of a spectacle than ever. The Lord was not crucified alone. There were two others being put to death at the same time. Luke's account of the crucifixion reads like this in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then continuing down in verses 39 through 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was not incidental that the fates of these three men collided on Calvary that day. There is a significance to each of the crosses that stood there, and we want to talk about that in our lesson today, Three Crosses. And I'll return with our study after a song. Public crucifixions were not uncommon in the first century. The Romans used this cruel means of execution not only as a way of torturing and humiliating the one being punished, but also to send a message to those passing by. 
This Passover Friday, however, was an unusual day. There were three crosses dotting the landscape outside the wall of Jerusalem with eternal significance. There were three men with very different dispositions hanging upon those crosses, and a conversation took place between them that I believe encapsulates all human history. On the middle cross, of course, was Jesus, the Lord. He was there dying for sin. On one side was another cross holding a proud and hardened criminal. He was dying in sin. And on the other side, another cross, also holding a condemned criminal, but this one was humble and penitent, and we see him dying to sin. I want us to stand by faith near Golgotha and gaze at these three crosses for a few moments and learn some of the lessons they are intended to teach us that perhaps some standing there that day 2,000 years ago did not glean at that time. First, there's the middle cross. Now, this was the cross of redemption. This was the cross on which an innocent man, falsely accused and condemned, was being unjustly put to death. Now, this cross was not here incidentally. It was not here by accident. It was not here opposed and against the will of God. In fact, none of those crosses were there accidentally that day. But the middle cross, of course, was planned with a very special significance. The scripture says that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13 verse 8. And 1,000 years before this day and hundreds of years before the practice of crucifixion had even been thought of, the psalmist prophesied of Christ plainly saying, They pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22 verse 16. The determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God constructed that cross and raised it up on the hill of Calvary that day and the divine become human was hanging there as an atonement for the sins of mankind. There has never been a ghastlier and grimmer sight than the picture of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, because for one thing it was a suffering cross. No one can imagine what kind of suffering the victim of crucifixion experienced, but especially our Lord. Our word excruciate, excruciating finds its basis in the word crucify. Often, as it was in Jesus' case, the torture began before they even reached the cross. The one being crucified went to the cross having already been mercilessly beaten and abused and even scourged. A scourging consisted of a whip or a cat of nine tails with shards of bone or metal woven into its cords being laid across the person's bare back multiple times, cutting the flesh to ribbons and leaving it looking like raw meat. And then a heavy cross of wood with its rough texture and splinters was laid on top of those fresh, open, bleeding wounds. And the condemned one, already weakened and staggering, was forced to carry that heavy cross to the site of his own execution. When they got there, they would lay the cross down and the victim upon it, and his hands were then opened as a cruel soldier reached into his pouch and pulled out three iron nails. The median nerve was located near the joint of the hand and wrist, and the soldier took out a mallet and he drove a nail through each hand and then one through both feet. And it was not a smooth nail like what you might obtain at the hardware store. It was a large and rough and jagged spike that was sent plunging through the quivering flesh into the wood beneath, sending shocks of pain up the arms and legs and throughout the whole body. The cross was then lifted up and dropped into a hole in the ground and a struggle to breathe began that could last for hours and often lasted for days 
as the person on the cross would twist and writhe in agonizing pain and muster every ounce of strength they had left to pull themselves up just high enough to get a breath. That's the torture of the cross. That's but a small picture of the physical agony of the cross. But it was more than that for the Savior. It was more than a suffering cross for Him. It was also a substitutionary cross. It was a vicarious cross. Unlike the thieves around Him, Jesus wasn't dying a death that He deserved, for He was sinless. He had not broken the laws of state nor the laws of God. He had never done anything to merit the punishment of the government. Even the man who sent him to the cross, Pontius Pilate, realized that and only condemned him as a political expediency. So that brings up the question, why was Jesus dying? Not only that, why did God determine such a thing and send him to that cross? Well, because the plan of God which will allow God in His holiness and justice to punish sin and at the same time in His love and mercy justify and save the sinner demanded a substitute. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 explains it by saying, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive with the Spirit. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, being justified freely by His grace. The word justified meaning we're looked upon by God, treated by God as though we had never sinned, even though we have. We have been made just. Freely, he says, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. In other words, Christ was used to hide our sins from God, that we might be reconciled to holy God. And he goes on to say, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that is, His means of making men righteous, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the beautiful paradox of the gospel. The cross of Christ and its expiatory sacrifice allowed sin's debt to be paid while at the same time letting the debtor be released from the obligation, marking the debt paid, even though the debtor did not pay the debt. One commentator said that the wisdom of God searched the love of God for a way to reconcile the justice of God with the mercy of God, and the result was the sending of His own sinless Son to die in the stead of sinful men. Christ was the only one dying a death on Calvary that day that He didn't deserve, and He was doing so vicariously for all of us who do deserve such a fate. And the only way that we can escape eternal death the only means by which any of us can be reconciled to a holy and just God and be relieved of the punishment and wrath our sins have earned for us at the same time is through faith in the one on the middle cross who God sent as a substitute, he who was dying for sin. But then let's turn our attention to the side where one of the criminals has been crucified and where he is about to die in sin. This thief hanging on the cross is a picture of where all of us belong. It was a cross of pride. It was a cross of rebellion. It was a cross of spiritual blindness and hard-heartedness. What a tragic irony, though, and what a picture of an unbelieving world that he is suffering a death that the one hanging mere feet away from him was willing to endure for him.
He just had no idea that that's what was taking place. Now, we have no idea who this malefactor was or where he came from. We don't know the nature of all the crimes he committed, except that he had broken the laws of the land and thus had broken the laws of God, and that's all we need to know. For the Bible says in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't tell us what kind of sin or how many sins. It simply says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 makes no distinction, declaring the soul who sins will die. Now here this man is literally and physically dying for the sins he has committed and he will soon experience the second death, an eternal death or separation from God because of the life he has lived and the choices he has made because he went out into eternity without Christ. Isn't it sad that here he hangs a few feet away from the Son of God? A few feet away as it were from the door to heaven, but yet in a few hours he would experience eternal separation from that same God who was right there next to him willing to save him. You know, that's a sad picture of so many in the world today. Is that a picture of you? I don't know if that thief even knew who Jesus was, although it's hard to imagine that he had never at least heard of Jesus with all of the attention the public ministry of Jesus had garnered, but he probably knew very little about him. But here we live thousands of years later with the gospel records of his life, the witness of his miraculous resurrection, millions upon millions of Bibles in circulation that testify of him, millions of sermons that have been preached about him through the years, a world that has been saturated with his influence. And yet, like that thief, they hang beside him, and rail upon him, and insult him, and reject him, and resist him. And at least that thief back then probably didn't know much about him. What excuse do you and I have? But there was a third cross, and this one was also bearing a thief who deserved the death he was dying. But this thief ended up dying to sin. Now like the other thief, we don't know how familiar he was with Jesus before he went to Calvary, perhaps very little. Uh, it could be that he as a Jew only began to piece together what was happening as he experienced Christ here at the cross of Calvary. Maybe he could see the inscription over the head of Christ that Pilate had placed there declaring him the king of the Jews. And it suddenly dawned upon him that this was the long-awaited Messiah and king promised to his people Israel. Maybe it all just clicked at that time. Maybe he had heard Jesus preach somewhere in that last three and a half years and watched a miracle or heard about his miracles and his claims. And now as he sees him hanging there, somehow that piece of the divine puzzle drops into place and he realizes that Jesus is who he had claimed to be. Perhaps his heart had been moved and he knew there must be something inexplicable about this man as he saw Jesus look down from the cross at his executioners and his taunting, scoffing critics and pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How unusual, how unhuman of Jesus. This was no ordinary man. Whatever the case, his heart was turned to Christ in those moments of death. And he cried out to Jesus to save him. Now here's a man who believed that Jesus was coming into a kingdom and that Jesus held the keys to the next life. Now that's what you call faith. Here's a man who is now humble and remorseful 
and turning his heart away from the wicked life he had lived toward Christ, that's repentance. Here's a man who by his own admission, as he converses with the other thief, knew that he deserved to die for his crimes, and he was professing his allegiance to Christ. That's confession. And here is a man with those things taking place in his heart and coming from his lips who is about to die with Christ and in the process as opposed to the other unbelieving thief who is dying in in his sin, this thief is dying to his sin. And you know you put all of that together and it paints a beautiful picture for the Bible says of us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We die with Him. He says, therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. This thief, you see, placed his He placed his faith in Christ. He turned from his sin. He confessed to Christ. And he died with Christ. And therefore, when he closed his eyes in death, he then opened them in paradise. Now, in a sense, that's a beautiful picture of what happens when we go through the same process and we die with Christ and are buried with Him in the waters of baptism and we rise to walk in the newness of life and are given the hope of eternal life. Now, friend, if the cross on one side is a picture of those who shake their fist at Christ and reject Him and die in their sins, this third cross is a picture of all who in simple faith turn and surrender to the Christ on the middle cross and appeal to Him for salvation. Now, there's much confusion today over the salvation of this thief and what Jesus said and what Jesus and His apostles, on the other hand, have commanded men and women to do today to be saved. Yes, like the thief, we call upon Christ and we appeal to Him for salvation. But the New Testament teaches that we do this when, in faith, we are baptized into Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 plainly tells us that baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that English translation is a little bit inadequate. Greek scholars point out that the phrase, the answer of a good conscience, is more of an interrogative term. It was used, for example, in the Greek courts to speak of making an appeal for something. And Peter is saying that baptism is not a bath for the outside, but it is the appeal for an inward cleansing. Now that perfectly parallels what Ananias told Saul in Acts 22 verse 16, saying, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we today call upon Christ to save us when in faith we obey His command to be baptized. That's what your Bible teaches. Now you might raise the objection, as many do, well so then how could the faith, or how could the thief have been saved without being baptized? Or Christ saved him without baptism, so that must mean that baptism has nothing to do with being saved today. Well, first of all, how do you know the thief was not baptized? John went about baptizing with the baptism of repentance under the remission of sins, and Jesus and his disciples administered that baptism for a time as that transition from John to Jesus was taking place. But how do you know that the thief was baptized at that time? I don't. But friend, neither do you know that he wasn't. And it's just as much speculation to say that the thief wasn't baptized as to say that he was, you see. 
The key here is understanding what the Hebrew writer taught in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. In that passage we read, And for this reason He, Christ, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Now you may very well have a will, and it works the same way as the kind of will the Bible is talking about here. It really hasn't changed. You know, to have a functioning will, you have to have several things. First of all, you have to have an estate or an inheritance or possessions to distribute. Number two, you have to have a will that dictates how that estate is to be distributed upon your death. Thirdly, you have to have an executor to make sure that the wishes of the testator are carried out. And number four, you have to have the death of the person who made the will. Now before that person dies, he or she can give their possessions to whomever they wish, whenever and however they wish. When they die, however, that last will and testament goes into effect and it is executed according to the stated wishes of the deceased. Now Jesus' estate consists of the riches of His grace and the redemption that He purchased at the cross, including the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life. It includes sharing with Him in the kingdom that God uh, gave Him to rule when He returned to the Father's right hand. His will is the teaching of the gospel made known through His apostles beginning on the day of Pentecost. After He died and before ascending to heaven, He told those apostles, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And that's what the will states and that was the condition. Those were the conditions of the will. He who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16 verses 15 and 16. The apostles were made the executors of His will. The blessings of His will are distributed to us upon meeting the conditions that Christ stated in His will through the preaching of the apostles. And they did as Christ instructed them and they went throughout the world preaching the gospel and telling people to believe the gospel, to repent, to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Read Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. But when did that become effective? The Hebrew writer points out that such a will only becomes a force after the death of the testator, which in this case is Christ who died on the cross after He saved the penitent thief. Friend, there are three crosses standing on the landscape of time yet today. There is the cross of rebellion and resistance. There is the cross of unbelief and disobedience where people die in their sins. That thief that was on that cross was minutes from death and he refused his only hope. Uh, you don't know how many minutes you have left, but they are precious and you're, foo and you're foolish if you turn away from the Christ on the middle cross. That cross is a cross of redemption and salvation where one died for sin, where He took your place. But then there is that third cross where a believing, penitent man died to sin. And that can be you today. Like that thief appealed to Jesus, you can appeal to Christ on the terms of His will by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And with eternity looming before you, I hope that you choose the course of that man who realized what a terrible life he had lived before God and who turned to the only one to save him, the Christ on the middle cross. There is joy divine that is ever mine, since the Lord has forgiven me, pardon me, and my work and sing for my
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts, plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. Would you surrender to Christ Jesus in gospel obedience today? Are you ready to leave your life of sin behind and put your faith in Him by obeying what He has taught you to do? He said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And if you're ready to take those sacred steps, we'll be happy to arrange to have someone help you uh, obey the gospel and become a New Testament Christian. If you'd like a copy of our lesson today, get in touch with us. And please ask for the sermon by the title, Three Crosses. Three Crosses. That sermon transcript is free, and we're happy to send it to you for the asking. That's the case with anything that we ever offer to you here on the program Everything is free. These things are provided by your friends and neighbors who are members of the Churches of Christ who are interested in taking the gospel to the world. We're thankful that you've joined us for the program today. We hope that you'll find us online at ltbstv.org and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as like our Facebook page and share those platforms with other people and encourage them to study the Bible with us from week to week. Thank you for joining me. I hope that you'll make your plans to join me back here next time, if the Lord wills, for another Bible study. Until then, have a great week ahead, and I'll look forward to meeting you again, again, if God is willing. God bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.